1: Network's Wagering Week. Help your bottom line.
2: Welcome to Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. And, uh, my gosh, uh, how uh, are you handling this is the question. Uh, We are now, I think, on day 21, just about three weeks of the
1: national shutdown. The consensus being that March 16, Monday, March 16, was the first day of the shutdown. Yeah, and we're taping this on uh, Sunday.
2: On March uh, April the fifth. Oh my goodness, I've gotta get my months right. (laughs) So uh, Sunday, uh, April five. To kick things off, um, we really kind of like to know how you're handling this, and uh, let us know. We've got a got a uh, an address you can send an email to. It's called Too Many Lawyers Podcast at Gmail. That's Too Many Lawyers Podcast at Gmail. The two and Too Many Lawyers is T W O. Uh, how you doing? We will not read your names unless you specifically say, I want you to read what I sent you and give my name. So uh, the default setting is whatever you send us, uh, if, if we highly think, anonymous and secret. Absolutely. If we think uh, folks would be uh, interested to hear your feelings and views and how it's going, we will read it, but again, not unless you give us your name, will we identify it. I, the reason I'm kind of interested in this, Connor, is I, I think people are of two minds. On the one hand, everybody recognizes how bad this is. I mean, we are just buffeted by bad news. I mean, your your family, your friends, you could get this. Maybe you, yeah. um, we've already gotten it. You don't know what the course of the disease might be. On the other hand, I think a lot of people are thinking, well, mm, I'm getting through this. You know, remote work uh, isn't terrible. Maybe I'm even getting more work done now before. There's no commute time and so on. And so for me... I see how awful everything is. I also feel maybe a little guilty. About, oh, yeah, absolutely. About seeing any silver lining. Yeah. And, and I don't know. I'm just, how do people feel? I mean, do you feel stoic or scared? Or do you feel depressed or broke or yeah. worried
1: about going broke? Is the glass half full somehow? I hear stories about that sort of guilt all the time. And it's fascinating. If you're a spouse of someone who's a front you know, line healthcare worker or another essential, uh, job, right. And you're sitting at home benched on zoom meetings with your Microsoft teams windows open, uh, writing TPS reports and punching the clock, making the same amount of money you were making before. And nothing really has changed that much for you. You can feel a lot of guilt as, as I have sitting in my office. I mean, for me, my, uh, the, the staff, the, that I work with in, para, in, uh, in Texas, my paralegal specifically, he's still in the office. Wow. They don't have a work from home set up from him in Texas, and we haven't been able to coordinate it and make it happen. So it's
2: almost like a survivor's guilt kind of thing.
1: Absolutely. I feel like the, the benefit of being able to work from home and so many other people are out there on the front lines. That's, it's, it's a, it's a, you're right, absolutely, of two minds. The fact that my life has become easier and less stressful at work in many ways because everything's canceled and put on hold of course things will come crashing back you know like a wave i'm sure later but at the moment it's such a bizarre moment of being held in stasis. Yeah. Well, Nothing's happened yet but we know bad stuff is going to happen. No, it's coming. And,
2: and they're saying, you know, talk about what's that T.S. Eliot poem uh, where April is the cruelest month. That's uh, what we're being yeah. told. April is going to be the cruelest month. So yeah, yeah, please share your thoughts with us. Uh, how how you doing? How are you getting
1: through this? Hopefully too. we can alleviate at least some of that guilt by having a helpful podcast that people can enjoy and be informed by. Especially the last couple of weeks we've had some pretty informative stuff about yep. uh, you know your job and your rights on the job and I think Today, we're going to add on to that with some news and also uh, talk about unemployment, how to apply for unemployment yeah, insurance, yeah. how it's going to work, and, and how the unemployment system might want to change as a result of this sort of a pandemic emergency. So, Too Many Lawyers Podcast at Gmail.
2: Please uh, share your thoughts with us. L- let's kick it off. Let's get to the issue. I mean, it's the issue of the week, of the month, of maybe a of, of the decade, unemployment off the charts. Yeah, you'll I mean, see. This is
1: just amazing. You'll see it on Twitter and elsewhere if you f- find it, and we'll put a link to uh, the, the viral tweet of the, of the chart uh, in the show notes. So you'll be able to click on that link and just jump right to the tweet. But it's amazing. It looks way worse than Al Gore's hockey stick graph, right? We've got 6.6 million people. who made. It's like
2: somebody took a hockey stick and hit all of America over the head with
1: it. (laughs) Exactly. We've got 6.6 million unemployment claims last week alone. And the Department of Labor has kept track of how many people have applied for unemployment every week since 1967. And when you look at the chart of it, it goes up and down and up and down and up and down. And this is seasonally adjusted. It just goes up and down because the economy gets worse and better. And then it hits last week. And it doubles and then it goes higher and higher and higher and higher and we are currently sitting more than 7 times higher than we have ever been before this is 7 times higher and we're at 6.6% sorry 6.6 million people unemployed today as of today the even less rosy prediction for the upcoming fiscal year that is sorry the upcoming quarter of a year in the upcoming quarter of a year, it is predicted, the Fed and others have said, we could have between 30 and 32% unemployment. And that's when you that's think unfathomable. About, yeah, it's amazing. And when you think about it, kind
2: of bringing it down to the personal level, uh, jobs are such an amazingly uh, important, integral aspect of our lives. And the idea of losing a job, there's the lead up when you're thinking, oh, well, what's going wrong here? Things aren't too hot at the office, maybe I'm going to lose my, what is that going to mean? I've got a family, kids, obligations, and then it happens. And then talk about a blow to the ego, talk about, you know, will we have enough food on the table? So, and that's one of the things that, you know, when the the sociologists and the politicians try to figure out what to do about welfare and and about the safety net, I think the smart ones recognize that. A job is a, is a hugely important thing in people's lives, and if there's any way we can encourage people to get back in the saddle and get back, you know, whether it's through workfare or whatever you know, that Clinton pushed in the 90s. So that's, that's the traditional notion of how important it is. What about this, though? I mean, it, it, am, I, am I being a, a glasses-half-full guy here to say that this, yeah, the numbers are off the chart, but misery loves company. And when you've got millions and millions of people simultaneously out of work by no... Fault of their own. Fault of their own. Yeah, you're right. I would think that would help. Not only the misery loves company syndrome... But the fact that they know it's not their fault and they know that the whole society is doing like this domestic Marshall plan
1: to, you know, to ship trillions of dollars yeah. out the door. Yeah, I think you're hopefully right. that'll help in terms of morale. It's got to help the psychological element. It doesn't put food on the table right. unless something actually happens, Ray, the government. But it certainly has got to help the psychological. I actually got five ideas, I think, of uh, sort of. More specific or less specific versions of ideas so that you're things violating that we have to Mark do. Marinella's rule of three. Yeah, don't go M- bigger. Mark is than, a
2: theorist. Yeah, exactly. yeah, he says everybody can understand three things, but yeah. more than
1: that, I don't know. Well, uh, I'll, I'll I'll cram th- uh, three of those together okay. so that Good. it's just three. So the number one is the aspects of our current uh, unemployment system that people might not know about or that need a change. One, right now with unemployment insurance, there's a one-week waiting period where if you get laid off through no fault of your own, and thus you're eligible for unemployment, you have to wait a week before you can apply. A week is too long in a pandemic. We're talking no food on the shelves, uh, you know, basic services unavailable. You need to be able to apply for unemployment the first week. And the reason On the other hand, a lot
2: of people aren't paying rent because, I mean, in California, for example, I mean, they're saying say, x nay" on the evictions. It's true. Don't and even while, worry about
1: rent. While there are some people who aren't paying rent, there are a lot of people who still are paying rent, right. and they are still paying credit card bills, keeping the lights on, food on the table, all these other things. we got to get those people money as soon as possible. And the idea that they have to hold off for a week is based on this bizarre notion that economists or government or whatever else came up with at some point and said, well, a lot of people are unemployed for only a week, and then they turn around and get another job. They got laid off because their company went under, but they're eminently employable. There are jobs available, blah, blah, blah. But with a pandemic economic shock that's saying there are no jobs available. And the reason that that person got laid off is because all the companies are going under and mm-hmm. nobody's putting food on the table. Then you're not likely to turn around and get another job within a week and not need unemployment. So that week, week waiting period is totally inapplicable to a pandemic and is probably just a bizarre holdover, left over from an older era. And it should go, in my opinion. I don't think that, that part of the law exists for any good reason. All right. And in this scenario, it's actively terrible. Connor so, is economic czar point point was one. point two. Uh, two, there's a work search requirement for unemployment. And at right now, a lot of work searching happens in person, even if much of it also happens online right. and on the phone. It's really hard to search for and apply for jobs and actually make that process happen I think that the work, work search requirement. Don't you think unnecessary... they're going to relax
2: this stuff uh, in oh, this yeah, pandemic I think they emergency? Should,
1: but they haven't yet, oh. so they, they really should be doing this stuff, and it should have been in our first economic stimulus bill. It wasn't. These are the work search requirement should at least be relaxed, if not you know done away with. What about an email to Donald Trump? Yeah, i will shoot one over to. Well, this is my podcast email to Donald Trump. I know he's a listener. I know he down every week, but most <laughs> weeks he's a listener. So Donald, <laughs> listen up. Nancy too. Nancy Pelosi she's also listening. The, the last one is something. Too many that
2: lawyers that, is fake news. <laughs>
1: The what problem. was that? What uh, was that? Somebody as a oh, special guest, yeah. Okay. So, work sharing programs. Not everybody's heard of work sharing programs. California has one, not every state has one. Right. But the uh, uh, National uh, Employment Law Project highlighted this in a recent post on their website. They said, hey guys, we should all be paying attention. If you don't know about whether there's a work sharing program, or if you have a, a an employer, if you're an employer and you employ people, you might not realize that this is an option that exists. You could go to the government and apply for a work-sharing program and say, government, please, I don't want to fire everybody. I don't want to lay them off. How about if I cut people's hours by between 0 and 60% mm-hmm. and I cut more than 10% of my workforce's hours in this way, I can apply for this program and get they can get unemployment insurance that covers partial unemployment insurance that covers the missing hours. That way I can cut multiple people's hours but keep them all on my health care plan. And that's the most important thing, of course, because being laid off and losing your health care, that's the nightmare right now. The absolute nightmare in a pandemic emergency. We all need health care. So if you get laid off, you lose your employer-provided health care. You're screwed. A work share program allows people to to share that burden and have their hours cut, get money from the government— Instead of from their employer, so their employer doesn't go under while they're doing this, but they keep everybody on the health insurance plan. So if you don't know about work sharing programs, shout it from the rooftops. Talk to your boss. Ask them, do we have a work sharing plan? Should we get one? Please don't fire Bill and Sally and me instead share the work between the two or three of us that remain or whatever else. All right, good ideas.
2: Uh, when we come back we're going to get the rest of uh, economic Czar Connor's <laughs> idea got for a lot of them. solving <laughs> this unemployment issue uh, and when Hope we come you didn't back want to
1: talk this episode. Now,
2: actually, well what I am going to mention when we come back in addition to finishing off your list, we're going to clear up this uh, rumor that COVID-19 causes insanity because there is evidence that it actually does uh, here in Los Angeles. We're going to get to that when we return on to... Hey America, Christopher Hahn here the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. What is with the president and the right-wing echo chamber encouraging these astroturf protests
1: against stay-at-home orders around the country? It's ridiculous and it needs to stop. Check out the Aggressive Progressive Podcast wherever you download
2: podcasts.
1: We're back with Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks, and I'm Connor Oaks. And please like, subscribe, etc. As they say, go on your podcast apps, rate us, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, so that people go on iTunes and look for podcasts. They see that this yeah, is a highly even reviewed Even if you podcast. don't like it, please like it. Yeah, you know, please just, like it. That's true. And if you're gonna thing. leave a review, hey, leave us a negative review. Why not? It's uh, you know, no news is bad. It's <laughs> like an Uber news?
2: driver. Please give me a two. Just just, give just, me just two any- stars yeah, exactly. is all. So we, before we get to Connor's. Um, Economic solutions, uh, yeah, uh, COVID-19 causing insanity. Will you be the judge as to whether it causes insanity? Uh, actually, it wasn't Los Angeles. Uh, I made a boo-boo there. It's outside Seattle. So Alberto Alejandro was arrested after his pitbull dog was driving erratically. And you say, well, Royal, well, well, what's going on? You like well, driving? I'll explain. Alejandro was in the passenger seat there in the front seat mm-hmm. with his foot on the accelerator. But Daisy's paws were on the wheel. Oh, my God. The cute little pit bull dog. And when he was arrested after the erratic driving, um, Alejandro claimed to the officer he was teaching Daisy to drive. Now, here's the possibility. Could it be COVID-induced insanity? I'm
1: I'm going insane being stuck in a house, but I haven't put the dog in the driver's seat yet i'm voting not for covid induced insanity i think
2: this is a pre-existing condition
1: i'm voting for i think uh the comorbidity of uh covid 19 uh cooped up insanity is alcoholism (laughs) we're all hitting the bottle pretty hard because there's not a lot else to do
2: alejandro he wasn't gonna bother
1: me but now he's gonna sue you hey i'm thinking maybe if he's you're out you had a couple of drinks. Mm-hmm. You're driving yourself and the dog around because you make bad decisions. How about a, couple in life. <laughs> a couple of pints. A couple of pints. I don't know where you got those pints. Quarts, I mean, well, uh, yeah, I mean, court. <laughs> well, uh, liquor stores are still an essential business, so they're open. Oh, that's yeah, right. It's pretty good. So he's driving around drunk as a skunk, and the cops go, "Whoop, whoop, pull him over." What are you doing out here? You're weaving all over the road. He scoots over to the passenger seat and says, "Look, it was Daisy. It wasn't me." Mm-hmm. I mean, that is the most likely explanation to me. Yeah, very probable. Yeah.
2: So. um... I, we, we do want to yell and scream about insider trading, but first
1: uh, I want Connor, yeah, uh, I got a couple to, more to ideas. polish off One, the economic ideas. We don't have a national paid sick leave program. Congress went on a recess, which was insane, by the way, that they would just go on their scheduled recess for three weeks in the middle of the worst pandemic crisis in the U.S. history, maybe back till 1918, but probably worse than that now. Certainly for the economy, it's worse than that now because we're all so, more, so much more in, interconnected. But we need paid sick leave. That just has to be a pillar of stimulus package version number two or three or four that are all coming down the pike. You know, Pelosi's already talking about three and four, and the Republicans are even admitting another wave of checks has got to go out. So we need paid sick leave because you can't have uh, people incentivized to have to go to work sick. It's just the absolute worst scenario, worst case scenario for everybody, the people who are sick and also everybody else. So that, of course, is just a, a level zero that we absolutely should have and that every other developed country in the world has. The final issue that you should remember is if you work and you get pay stubs or you have pay stubs on a a computer program, you should print them out yourself. The National Employment Law Project points out that if everybody's businesses businesses are getting shut down and everybody's applying for unemployment insurance, Mm -hmm. the EDD needs to go and verify how much you used to get paid. And they do that by checking your pay stubs. And if your company is shut down, especially if you work at a small business with like a single employer, if that guy's in the hospital or the program's down, the IT guy's in the hospital, and the program won't be coming back up and you can't access your pay stubs online, you've missed out on the chance to prove to the unemployment uh, oper- you know, uh, unemployment insurance division of the government, I can't remember what EDD stands for, if you can't prove to them how much you made with your pay stubs that you're saving or printed out, you're screwed. So All you right. need to. So these print are good ideas. You
2: got some good ideas, and nice. if you were the czar, uh, I think it makes sense. Thank you. But but here's here's the problem I have. And let mm-hmm. me be devil's advocate Please. in terms of what other people are saying about the economy. Folks are taking sides in this pandemic, and in the one corner they see it as a new brand, no Who cares how long the economy is shut down and citizens are shuttered? Lives are at stake. True. Uh, and the, in the other corner, people are asking for hard data underlying the worst case scenarios. They are computing the human toll of putting a closed sign on America. and meantime, some people are hoping for tectonic shifts in our national, economic, and political paradigm. Because mm-hmm. remember the immortal words of Rahm Emanuel, mayor of Chicago and, uh, and uh, Obama's aide, never let a serious crisis go to waste. Mm-hmm. Now at least he's, uh, uh, the governor of California, is upfront about that attitude. Governor Newsom is explicit. He was asked two or three nights ago, if this crisis might usher in a new progressive era. And he said, quote, absolutely, we see this as an opportunity to reshape the way we do business and how we govern. Alrighty then, could we keep our eye on the two balls in the air? Number one, make sure everybody doesn't die. And number two, make sure the economy doesn't collapse. Because if people are worrying about designing a new world order, you know, after stuff settles down. Mm -hmm. I worry that instead of all the energy of Americans, politicians, everybody else, going toward the solution, we don't die and we don't collapse, that we spend time on solving the crisis. Because I think you have a conflict of interest. If your primary goal isn't solving the crisis, it's possible that your interest in making the other side look bad will prevent getting the best, Mm, quickest solution. And that's why... It's so disturbing to me to see Trump sniping at his enemies Mm -hmm. and to see Nancy Pelosi saying, well, Trump was fiddling while people died. And I mean, because if you pull up the videotape as Fox News and, and other right of center outlets do, you see Nancy and Bill de Blasio after the warnings began about pandemic saying, oh, come to Chinatown. It's safe. You know, be prudent. But come, you know, go go on the subway. Everything's fine. So the fact is there is guilt on both sides in terms of who acted uh, most quickly and and most intelligently. But the bottom line is we got to solve this crisis as opposed to trying to plan the new world order. So I think as opposed to your well thought out uh, reforms Thanks. on the economic front, some people are saying to themselves, "Oh my gosh, this is the chance. We're going to have mm, a brand yeah. new paradigm in America and everything is going to be totally different we're not going to
1: let this crisis go to waste so you know, that's I, disturbing i about. hear you and i totally see that as a that's a fear that that is a, a very legitimate fear that people will abuse the situation to try to force through something unrelated or change the world or f- frighten people and say right. mm-hmm. well because you're so frightened from covid therefore you should be frightened of xyz some other part of the status quo that is actually unrelated to how well America deals with a pandemic, and try to force through changes on that front. And if that slows down our crisis response, that's a tragedy. You're absolutely right. Yep. I do think, though, that I'm on board with Ron Emmanuel. I don't want to let a serious crisis go to waste. And I think that's because the spirit taking that as you know, giving him the benefit of the doubt for how he said it and using it the way I think, if you have a serious crisis and you see that your society doesn't deal with it in the way that it should— you shouldn't let it sure. go. Sure, it's waste. human you nature. Nobody can resist that the that idea of, of looking ahead and saying, "We're going to get through this, and when we do,
2: it's going to be a dawn going going of a, be a new brighter day. future." But yeah. let's hope that that doesn't interfere with solving it quickly in the immediate. You're right. So I did say I wanted to yell and scream about the insider trading people, and Please. this is
1: both God. sides, of Democrat, Republican. I mean,
2: seriously, senators and well, a, a I, I, I,
1: I push back. We'll, we'll get we'll get to whether there were any Democrats who did this. But well, you go ahead. I don't know the details
2: about Dianne Feinstein, but but I've heard. Uh, that she it was responsible for some of these fishy trades. Uh, who knows? We'll wait for the facts to come up. Yes. But whoever did it, I mean, really? Stock trades? Uh, at with After you hear about what's going on with COVID-19 and before it's either known at all by the public or generally known, based on the looming pandemic, you start doing stock trades? I mean, even if it wasn't illegal insider trading, Were these creeps totally tone deaf? Yeah.
1: And I guess the investigators— Just the idea that they thought that they could get away with it and that no one would notice that I, Jenny Loeffler, whose husband is the uh, CEO of the New York Stock Exchange, by the way, so inherently there's just no way he doesn't get inside information from his wife. But that really, that to me, highlights—everybody looks at that and says, oh my gosh, there's no way he doesn't get inside information from his wife. Uh— Do you think that there are—if you think that these people will share with their spouse something, they will share with their friends who stand to make millions of dollars. There's always insider trading going on. There's no way to stop it except to do what a lot of people are saying we should be doing right now, which is a ban on senators playing the stock market. You shouldn't be able to buy and sell stocks if you're privy to national security top secret information. Makes sense. Come on. to me, the, a lot of people say things like, well, if you can't buy or sell stocks, um, you're just impeding these people's ability to uh, make money and uh, you don't want only independently wealthy rich people to be able to be in the senate but that's silly you've get you, you pay these people a salary there's many, many more ways to make money other than play the stock market and the, the inevitable problem of having to deal with insider trading uh, there's no other solution to it
2: it's almost like if a senator you know hears an executive session that mm-hmm. the russians have developed this super duper h bomb 10 times better than ours and he, he goes to vegas and bets On Russia Russia in World War III. That would be wrong. Hey, when we come back, we're going to talk about evictions. Are you safe and sound? No danger of being evicted if you don't pay your rent. We'll get into that and more on Too Many Lawyers. Stick with us. We're back with Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. And please do subscribe to Too Many Lawyers if you like it. Uh, We really appreciate you uh, listening in. So uh, we've been hearing about an eviction ban in California. Uh, the governor is saying, hey, let's let's go slow. Let, well, I'm not going to permit evictions under uh, most circumstances. Landlords, Connor, are starting to fight back. Uh, they're saying basically, what are we, chopped liver? Uh, I mean, how about a little something for the effort, like a ban on banks foreclosing on apartment owners who can't pay their mortgages? Mm-hmm. I, I saw an article in... In the Daily News this week uh, by a columnist who said, you know, full disclosure, i got a couple of rental homes and uh, I'm not exactly uh, Michael Bloomberg here with my uh, columnist salary. And it's it's kind of critical. So if I'm going to lose my apartment because folks aren't paying their rent. You know what's the solution? So it seems like it's just a domino effect. The
1: government's yeah. going to have to help out at every level, I the guess. The concern is really... I mean, classically, uh, an economist would say a landlord is so much less in danger than a tenant because they can always... If they can't make the mortgage, they can always just have it be repossessed by the bank and or they can put it on uh, the market and sell the equity that they have so far in the home that they've paid off via the mortgage, and it's not a problem. The problem we're in with the crisis right now that landlords might actually need some protection, is that we don't want tons of housing hitting the market all at once and causing a housing crash as well. If the market gets flooded, prices drop precipitously, and then selling is not really a viable option. You might be underwater on your mortgage because the value of your rental property is down, and then we end up with a bunch of foreclosures from banks, and then it's a nightmare. And then we have 2008 housing crisis all over again. So yeah, even uh, liberals and leftists uh, like myself would say, uh, we might need to protect the landlords when, you know, the classic uh, leftist line is, well, we'll just eat the landlords if there's a famine, no problem. But in this scenario, you know, it makes sense we to protect the economy, even the people who don't really usually need protection, that is the landed gentry. Here, we need to pull those economic levers to fix things, because if we're not preventing rental properties from being foreclosed on, too, we could have another housing crisis. So apart from uh, cracking
2: down on eviction lawsuits, what about cracking down on lawsuits in general with respect to anybody having to do with the COVID-19 fight? Uh, There is a federal law, Congress has passed a law, immunizing a lot of people and a lot of companies— yeah, from uh, from lawsuits, mm-hmm. alleging damage from medical care or medical facilities or, and equipment and so on. And I wonder how people are going to react to that. I have a feeling I know how plaintiff's lawyers are going to react. They're going to say, oh my gosh. You scream know, and tear their hair you, out and be unhappy. Yeah, yeah, you can't change the law here. Uh, You're preventing
1: guess, people from recovering for legitimate injuries. You know, this yeah, but, person was, was, the doctor was negligent or the medical device manufacturer right. made something faulty and suddenly I get hurt and can't sue? What the heck? And, and you, it, you, interestingly,
2: the, the key word there you used is negligence because there is a loophole mm. in this law that allows lawsuits to continue for intentional misconduct. And right. of course, every yeah. lawsuit is going to allege intentional misconduct but often it's really hard to prove that i wonder how people are going to react i mean i guess the idea is we want to encourage people to step forward whether they're in the medical community or medical facilities and and devices we want to you know in an emergency
1: you're in a war zone negligence has a different takes on a different meaning in a war zone and we might need to protect people who are taking brash and bold action to try to save lives i mean if you're a a hospital a, a good example that we you know saw in in the news in the last couple of weeks Hospitals incredibly short on ventilators. If you're trying to jury rig uh, and 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 re re-com- recombine a medical device uh, pieces into what constitutes or works as a ventilator in order to save lives, you might disassemble a CPAP machine and uh, use it uh, in a ward full of people who are all all already have COVID. That increases the viral load. CPAPs when they're, they're re- re- rejiggered to be vi- ventilators uh, and and parts are are scavenged, suddenly it aerosolizes uh, these people's breath, and fills the ward Yikes. with uh, with the virus. That's bad. That's scary. But it might save lives in the short term. And the danger, of course, is thinking, well, well what if we're going to get the suit, pants suit off us and the hospital will have to close down because we got sued? Uh, yet another reason why the hospitals should not be owned by private, uh, private-seeking companies because then they could get sued into non-existence and be afraid of it. We need the government to be the one who would be on the hook there if somebody tries to save lives.
2: So I mean, speaking of scary
1: things... Let's turn to the
2: prisoner release oh phenomenon gosh, yeah. that folks are concerned about. Uh, we're scared
1: for different reasons, but we're both scared.
2: Well, a couple <laughs> of days ago, lawyers for a group of inmates yeah. uh, appeared before a panel of federal judges. And I got to get to the bottom of this because I, I, I was reading about this. There's a Ninth Circuit judge on the panel, and there are two U.S. District Court judges. Mm-hmm. And I don't know where that comes from, because you're either on the Ninth Circuit, the right. appeals court level, or you're at the federal district court, trial court level.
1: They're totally different. But, but somehow— There this, the lane shall meet.
2: Yeah, this panel—and uh, sometimes if you're on, for example, the district court, you end up temporarily serving with the Court of Appeals. Anyway, however the, the procedure is, and I'll get to the bottom of it, these attorneys for inmates are urging the judges to say, look, these folks are elderly, they're ailing, they're approaching their release dates, so please let them out. Uh, eight prisoners and 27 employees in one facility tested positive for COVID. And uh, some of the news reports indicate this. Uh, some states have stopped admitting new prisoners. Now, setting aside the whole you know, mass incarceration debate and recognizing that we have a criminal justice system and we've got in to some stick way. with it. Yeah. How does that work? How do you stop admitting new prisoners? Well, let's see, uh, Mr. Schmedlap. It appears from the record you've been, uh, yeah, we're talking about eight murders here. Uh- Um, we just don't want to admit you now because of the COVID thing. I want you to promise on your honor, on the graves of those eight people you killed,
1: you're going to show up Uh, on July 13th. Is that a deal? How how
2: can we not admit new prisoners? So the
1: reason that they're convening this three court, a three judge panel, um, of a mix of different judge levels. uh, uh, Did you uh, you cheat and check the internet? I did. Yeah. Uh, the reason they're convening this is that, uh, they need to make a decision, either a policy, big picture decision, or an individual uh, prisoner decision about who to release on the margins, because these things are always going to happen on the margins. So, the eight uh, murder guy, we don't have enough eight murderer, uh, you know, octuple murderers to have to let some octuple Thank murderers out. Thank God. Thank God, <laughs> exactly. We have a lot of people um, who are on the margins of it. Would it be a tragedy if this person got out early? No, probably not. And those people need the attention. Overall, Prisoners need our attention maybe now more than ever. I mean, they're in such horrible circumstances